Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of season two of the Cortalinius podcast. I am delighted to be back and bringing you a recap and a breakdown of match day two of the Liga B-Win Portugal season. And I'm here today, I'm joined with a good friend, longtime friend, Sam Fonseca. How are you doing, Sam? I'm really great, mate. Thank you for inviting me. You know, a big fan of yours. Obviously, we go back to PT Footy days back in 2016. And just a quick shout out to you, because I think at the time you might have had 14,000 followers on Breaking the Lines. I see you have like nearly 50,000 or over 50,000. Testament to the hard work you put in. So, so fair play to you, man. Thank you so much. So we're here today to talk about your Chicago Bulls, right? Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the DeMar DeRozan deal. <laughs> DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball, mate, we're winning it all next year. <laughs> so no, we're here today to talk about Portuguese football. Um, and I'm honored to have Sam on today because you know a lot of people don't know this, but the first time I was ever on a podcast, or at least, yeah, I think at least a football podcast was, was PT Footy Podcast. Uh, I think I want to say 2016, 20, 2016, 2016, I think. Yeah. yeah I, was right. I think I was in my, my senior year of high school and, uh, I, I guess, so you guys, you, you were running obviously a Portuguese football podcast. You, I think you didn't have anybody, you, or a guest canceled on you and you asked me if I wanted to, uh, to come on and I came on like without, with like 30 minutes of, uh, like with, with not much, um, time in advance to prepare but yeah i came on we had a great show and then from then on i became kind of, kind of a regular part of the pt footy show we had you a sporting gista kevin um guy in in america in the u.s who was a porto fan as well as peter who was the host of it who was a benfica fan but yeah that was those were some great days on the pt footy podcast i really miss them uh, it's been a while since we're but but you have done you have done some great work with your own page sporting 160 English um, EN, I believe. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so um, we we didn't have that much success on the PT Footy podcast, but it was never about that for us. I think it was just about you know having fun. And soon after, um, I think Kevin left for a bit. We had an, a new guest called Steph, and we sort of had our own little discussions about starting our own um, podcast regarding sporting um, and our own Twitter page. Because I'm not sure if you've seen it, but the actual sporting English Twitter page doesn't is not very active and hasn't been since probably 2015. And I think it was just nice to have that sort of because we know there's a lot of Portuguese um, based in America and England, just places that they might not be able to get the Portuguese news or record the jogo stuff like that. So I think it was just a good project to start running. If if you would have told me that when we started in I think 2017 that we had Bruno de Cavalho and uh, Alexandre Gordinho and all these people on, then. I would probably have laughed at you, but it's, it's, it's great to see that hard work does pay off. And, you know, we've, we've got some stuff planned. I don't want to give, give anything away too soon, but um, hopefully we can sort of get more guests on and, you know, sort of grow from there. But I appreciate the opportunity that you're giving me here today. And the invitation is open to you. Sporting 168 podcast, whenever you're ready, just give me a shout and we'll do it. Absolutely. I definitely want to come on soon. Um, yeah, sporting, sporting Benfica and Porto, I would say have, have not the best English pages. So that's why pages like sporting 160 EN are so massive, whether you're part of, of sporting's massive fan base, or you just want to learn a lot about sporting and stay up to date with them. Highly recommend giving Sam's page a follow. Um, 
but yeah, absolute, absolute delight to have you back on, uh, to tap, to have you on after so many years after, uh, PT footy. I honestly would not be here, uh, if it wasn't for, for PT footy podcast, that was really where it all started. Um, and yeah, I really, I really do miss those days, but you know, it, it is, it's great to have you on because you are not just a sporting fan. I mean, you, you are, you are an incredibly biased sporting fan, but, 100%, yeah. <laughs> but you do pay attention quite a bit to what else is happening outside uh, of, in, in terms of other teams, you do follow other games. Um, and as such, that's why I wanted to have you on today to not just discuss what's happening with sporting, but also discussing about what else is happening around the league. Uh, and so we have a ton of action to, to recap um, from basically just on what has happened since, since, since Friday, since the start of, uh, since the start of the, the second match day, the second match day of the, the Primera season. So uh, it's still going on at the moment where we've got the, the final match of the, of the second match day happening with uh, Marichimo currently up 2-1 at halftime uh, against Belenich Saad, um, playing, playing away from home, but you know, beating Belenich Saad. Uh, so we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens with that game. But apart from that, been a very active uh, weekend, shall we say. So kicked off on Friday um, with newly promoted Storiel taking a stalemate at home against a 10-man Vitoria uh, de Guimaraes, who saw their new signing from Benfica Alpha Semedo get sent off. Uh, we saw Vicela, newly promoted Vicela, continuing their impressive form, taking a 2-1 victory over Tondela. Gil Vicente, uh, in, after their 3 nothing victory over Boavista in the first match day, uh, continuing their impressive form with a one nothing victory uh, away against Portimonense. But, uh, and, and, and also another uh, 3 nothing victory from Boavista, bouncing back from the, from the defeat to Gil Vicente against Passos Ferreira. We'll talk about that in a bit. But I want to start off by talking about uh, what was, in my opinion, the craziest match of this entire match day, and and it was it was definitely not the the most attractive match on paper, but it certainly delivered, and that was Moreranch against Santa Clara. Okay, so Moreranch, uh, you know, decent mid table side, finished eighth last season. Have, Generally, have, have generally you know consolidated that upper half position. Just finished uh, three points behind sixth place Santa Clara, who who sealed um, their place in the Europa Conference League. So yeah, Santa Clara facing off against Moreranch uh, yesterday, and uh, absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy match uh, in the Azores for for Santa Clara, who you know of course let's not forget used to have. Benfica's, uh, a, I guess you would say a knockoff Benfica badge. Yeah. <laughs> they, they used to be sort of, you know, cri- uh, criticized that, but they've changed it. And I personally like it a lot more. Um, so anyways, Santa Clara taking the lead early on at home, uh, thanks to a goal from birthday boy, Carlos Jr., who is uh, celebrating his 26th birthday. Carlos Jr., 
was uh, definitely one of the brightest sparks and biggest leaders behind Santa Clara's uh, European finish, you know, taking over as the team's talisman after Thiago Santana's departure. And uh, he did not disappoint against Moreranch. He scored the, the opening goal. Um, and that's where things started to get a little funky. So 58th minute, Carlos Jr. opens the scoring. Uh, 76th minute, right after, just, just a few minutes after Rodrigo Conceição, Sergio Conceição's son, and Porto Loni, just a few minutes after Rodrigo gets subbed on, he gets sent off. Just, I believe, three minutes after coming on, Rodrigo Conceição gets sent off uh, for, for, for Moreranch. Okay, so Moreranch down to 10 men. Then, uh, in the 90th minute, Moreranch get a penalty, uh, which, is, which, which is later uh, converted by, by Jan, another Brazilian. Okay? Um, and then, Moreranch, then Santa Clara get a, get a penalty again, converted by the birthday boy Carlos Jr. Uh, so another Brazilian with another goal. And then looks like it's over, right? It was like, I think, eight minutes of added time. And then Moreranch get a penalty in the, what, 99th minute? The 99th minute, I think. And then they score. So it was two to two with three goals coming in the final 10 minutes and with the player getting sent off. Uh, just three minutes after coming on. Uh, absolutely bonkers mid-table Premiera action. What did you make of this game, Sam? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, on paper, it's not the most you know beautiful game to, to have on the, the match day, but I think both teams went out there and, you know, it was, it was very... <laughs> Like sort of great game to watch as as a neutral. I can understand Santa Clara and Moriens fans having a bit of a a weak heart after that one. But um, just a, a quick note on Carlos. I've I've been very impressed with him since he's um, joined Santa Clara. Fifteen goals in Liga Nos last year. You know he's got um, four in four in the Conference League at the moment, and obviously the the two goals he scored there. I mean he's been a great addition to Santa Clara, and I think he's one of the the main reasons they've done so well. Um, just a note on uh, the Concesal, you know, sort of runs in the family. That aggression sort of goes goes through their blood. Um, but I think looking at both penalty calls as well, I thought they were fair. Um, I, I didn't have much to say about them. Um, the final free kick, I thought, was a, a beautiful ball in and just a, an absolute great header by them as well, uh, by Moriens. Um, I just think... You know, credit to Moriens for getting back in the game, especially being a man down. Um, I do feel for Santa Clara a bit, though, because it was late in the game. I think the defense, the defense sort of uh, went to sleep a bit there. But, I mean, it was a great game to watch. Um, and if you haven't watched it, I would recommend go watching the highlights on YouTube. A, a really great game. And I think it, it does sum up the, the Liga, Liga win now uh, very well. But very impressed with Moriens for, for coming back on that one. That's correct. I th- think I had originally said it was a late penalty in the ninety in the hundredth minute. That's incorrect. That was a, actually a free kick. Yeah, great yeah. free kick for defending from Santa Clara. Um, you mentioned son- you mentioned a player who I who I wanted to touch it on. Okay, we've talked about Carlos Junior a lot on this show. Uh, just another of the Santa Clara players who was drawing attention for his performances in the Astores. Uh, this is a club that have done a fairly good job of exporting talent. Uh, Thiago Santana got a big move. Uh, Fabio Cardoso, after an impressive season in the defense, got a move to Porto this past summer. Um, but it, it definitely seemed like Carlos Jr., you know, along with, I would say, Hidemasa Morita, Mikel Villanueva, 
and um, and Lincoln. I think we're definitely amongst the biggest biggest stars. Um, it seemed like Carlos was 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 going to be set for a big move. You know, just turning twenty six yesterday, um, and a player who has really stepped up as the team's leader in attack. Got some interest from I think Benfica was interested. I think it seemed like. There, there was a, there was rumors with I think it was either a Qatari or a Saudi team who was looking at signing him, but but so far he's 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 remained a Santa Clara player, uh, and I'm a bit surprised by that because this is a player who uh, actually finished fourth um, amongst Brazilians um, as as the fourth the joint fourth or the joint fourth top scorer for Brazilians in Europe last season behind Arthur Cabral. Neymar, Danilo, and yeah, he was fourth tied with uh, Joao Pedro with 16 goals. So this is a player who has really picked up in form. Bit of a late bloomer, I'd say, like so many other Brazilians who, who make their way to this league. Uh, but I like him a lot. Do you think he, do you think Sporting might, might, might go for him? I mean, I'd love to. I've been saying um, for a few months now, I'm sure we'll get into the, the game, but I, I say Sporting have needed sort of uh, that second striker. I think Thiago Tomas has the potential, but, you know, um, I think we need someone now. Um, I really wanted uh, Gonzalez from, he played at Tondela last year, but went to Braga for 1.5 million, which I thought was an absolute steal of a deal. And I think if Braga didn't get uh, Mario Gonzalez, they would have gone for um, Carlos Jr. But, I mean, like you said, being the fourth tied Brazilian to, to score in terms of top goal scorer is just credit to not only how good he is, but how good Santa Clara played his abilities as well. I think, you know, if, if the price is right, I would have him at Sporting. Um, I'm not sure how much of the, the cash we have left to spend, um, but I think there's only a matter of time before I see him going maybe abroad sort of in Italy or, or mid mid table Spanish side. I feel like it'd be a bit of a waste if he went to Qatar and, and Saudi, but I know a lot of the Brazilians do go out there seeing Matus Pereira, former sporting player going out there. But um, for me, I've taken the sporting, but I think he's, he's destined to go abroad. I would love to see him at Spain or an Italian club, but a, f- a phenomenal footballer. And I think, I think he's going to break that 15 goals that he scored last year. Hopefully end up with sort of 18, 19 this season. Couldn't agree more. Just wanted to correct you. It's Mario Gonzalez, not Gonzalez. I know, you, I know you want him to be playing for Portugal, but Spain still have rights <laughs> on him. Okay. Don't get ahead of yourself right now. Um, so great shot with Carlos Jr. Really really interesting player that, that any neutral should be keeping an eye on because he's definitely, you know, we talk a lot about how teams outside of Portugal really do not good, do a good job of taking, of, 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 you know, looking at players outside of Portugal's big four who are destined for a big move. Carlos Jr. is one of them. Carlos Jr. is a player who has the quality to, to, to skip that step, you know, to one of Portugal's bigger teams and go to a top five league right now. He's a very good player. Um, so yeah, glad you mentioned him moving on though, going, going to a game against, uh, perhaps your two most hated teams outside of Benfica, <laughs> um, a game between Famalicão and Porto. I, I really have no idea why you dislike Famalicão so much because it's, they've given you, most, they've given uh, you Ruben Vinagre. They've given you, um, Pedro Gonçalves. Well, they didn't give you Ruben Vinagre technically, but he was, he was on one that they gave you Manuel Ugarte. 
What, what's with this for Malik Al Hate, Sam? What is this? Well, it's mostly to do with George Mendes. He's not had, a, had that big of an impact at the moment, but that first year, and like I've never had a problem with fans sort of getting invested to the Portuguese league, but these familiar Cal fans have come in, they talk smack, like they've won everything. You know, I had one in my my mentions a few days ago because I, I was saying, I think it was about um, Pedro Gonzalez, and they were saying, I'll, I'll basically, they they should deserve a bit of the money for winning the league because how, how good Pot was. And I was just like, come on. A lot of their fans, you know, I respect them for getting into it, but I don't know. It's just that George Mendes factor. And then I don't like the way they play as a team. I know it's not due to this reason, but every time they play sporting, they just turn into like a very good team. Like I think we drew to them twice last year. So, I mean, they're also just, just a bogey team and that's another reason why I hate them. But, you know, Befica and Porto are definitely above them, but you know, familiar cow, I sort of have that that little hatred for, you could say. That was a fantastic game last last season. I believe Ivan Jaime was the star of the show. Um, but yeah, no, fair enough. I, that, this is why I love having you on because, like, I've probably came across, I've probably come across like two Famalico fans in my entire time on Twitter, and you come over here saying like, "Oh, they're the they're the most obnoxious. They're the Boston Red Sox fans of Portugal. Just that's you know saying, oh, we deserve extra money. Like, okay, okay, I'd I'd love to see it though. I'd love to see the the obnoxious Fama fans you're talking about. <laughs> but anyways, uh, moving on to the game, Porto Famalico. Okay, um, Porto getting a early two nothing lead via Famal- ex Famalico striker Tony Martinez. Potentially the one that got away for sports and considering your history with extramolico players, I don't know. Uh, Tony Martinez, we've talked about him a lot on the show. Spaniard, ex-West Ham striker, uh, came to came to Pomolico, um in the in the 2019 season and really was part of that massive push for European football, uh, missing out on the final day of the season. Martinez eventually earning himself a move to Porto, uh, struggled, I would say, in the shadow of of, of Musa Marega uh, because of a lack of opportunities, but eventually started playing in, in the final weeks of the season when it came out that Marega would join um, Al-Hilal at, at, in, in the summer and you know has done very well as a striker, clearly showcasing that he is uh, a, you know, an, an incredibly underrated goal scorer. Um, let's let's, let's f- focus on Martinez for a second because it seems like I, I don't know. I don't want to say that Porto would have won the league if Martinez was starting over Marega last season, but I do think that Sergio Conceição was shooting himself in the foot in many ways uh, by by keeping Martinez on the bench. Um, just how good has Martinez been for Porto? And uh, as a sporting fan, how how scared are you of this of this Meditaremi Tony Martinez uh, attacking duo? Well, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, Marega, for some reason, I know if you would sort of look from the outside and look at his stats for Porto, you would think he was, he's an excellent goal scorer and he was a really good player. I know a lot of Porto fans that I see on Twitter and Facebook are, are really dis- disliked, disliked him and sort of disliked Constancel for sort of sticking with them because not only do they have Tony Martinez, they have Ivan Nilsson as well, who I think can turn into a, a great striker as well. But it's always that Constancel mentality of always picking the same players over and over again, which sort of shoots them in the foot. But um, I, th- I think Tony Martinez had had a great had a great game against Femme Lecao and very good to see him. I love it when players don't celebrate against their former clubs. But um, 
I was just very much impressed with with what he was able to do. Um, I think, like you said, stepping out of the shadow of, of Morego is probably the best thing that he could have done for his career. Um, but yeah, I think that does worry me because he's been so good far. I know it's only been two game weeks, but he's in, in sensational form. And if he carries carries on, I don't see a lot of people stopping that strike force of, of Taremi and um, Tony Martinez. Yeah, I mean... I think that uh, despite the fact that he came, I believe third in uh, in in the in the league on those top scorer rankings behind Pedro Gonçalves and Harris Verovic, I do think that Taremi was probably the best center forward in Portugal last season. Um, he's just so he's so versatile. You know, he's almost like a mix between a nine and a ten. Uh, you wouldn't really think of it because of his size, but he's such he's such an underrated forward. Porto are lucky to have him. And uh, and 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 Martinez, it's a good old-fashioned strike force. Been some rumors over whether they will sign Alfredo Morelos. Um, personally, I don't think they need Morelos. I think they need to be focusing their resources on a different position, um, especially with Evan Nielsen, a young Brazilian striker who came from uh, Fluminense last summer, awaiting uh, in the wings. I just don't think. They need to be spending fifteen million or whatever on Alfredo Morelos, potentially more. Um, I think that Porto, who yeah, it seems like are close to closing uh, a deal for Tecatito Corona, sell, selling Tecatito um, to Sevilla after nearly, I want to say, six years at the club. After six years at the club, uh, selling him to Sevilla. Um, I think that they need to be spending that Tecatito money on a left back. Uh, so left back at, at Porto has been a bit of a problem position since Alex Tellez's departure to Manchester, to Manchester United um, last summer. Uh, Tellez, it's hard to underestimate just how important he was for Porto's league title in 2020. Um, you know, not just going forward, but also just, you know, his role in possession, his role defensively. Um, so Tejas eventually left for United, um, as we had expected him to. And Porto decided to bring in a left back, a young promising left back uh, from Santa Clara named Zaidu Sanusi. So, you know, talked a lot about Santa Clara players getting big moves. Zaidu was arguably where it all started, you know. Um, getting a move to Porto... Uh, in the final weeks of the transfer window for pretty low fee, I believe, um, completing a pretty massive ascent for a player who was, you know, just two years prior to joining, was playing in the third division for Mirandela. Um, and I think that Zaidu, you know, he had definitely some promising signs in his, in his debut season. I think especially in Europe, uh, Zaidu was selected in the, I think, the top 10 U21 players in the Champions League. Um, did very well against Juventus, and overall, I think definitely showcased his his ability in games where Porto were expected to sit back and and hit on the counter. You know that's definitely where Zaidu's uh, speed and and recovery pace and and overall just physical attributes uh, I would say came in handy. But uh, I think that Porto fans, I think that that Porto have definitely noticed the effects of Tejas' departure um, in just the gap in quality between Zaidu and Tejas. It's worth noting that Zaidu is still fairly young. I believe he is 
uh, 23 or 24. And so, you know, I can definitely see why some Nigerians will be, will be, who are listening to the show, shout out to, to my Nigerian followers. Uh, they'll be watching the show and, and thinking, oh, it's a 24 year old who, you know, just came from Santa Clara last summer. Give him a break, you know. Um, Porto fans have short memories. So I can, I can definitely see that. But what happened last yesterday was frankly inexcusable. Um, so Zaidu, after starting Porto's first game against Belenicad, dropped to the bench um, against Famalicao with Milson, Wilson Manafa coming in at left back. Manafa naturally a right back, but uh, playing on the left side of defense. Manafa, I think, looked pretty gassed around the 70th minute mark, and so he exited for Zaidu. And what did Zaidu do? <laughs> he he gave away possession in the final minutes of the match. Just an absolutely boneheaded, boneheaded giveaway. Uh, just, you know, grabbing the ball right outside of the penalty box and just gifting it to a Famalico player. Famalico hit on the counterattack um, and eventually score. Scored the equalizer. Just, I believe, in... In, in the dying minutes of the match, the equalizer was eventually called off due to VAR. But uh, before we talk about the VAR decision, wh- what do you think about Porto's left-back situation? I mean, they have brought in Leo Borges um, from Internacional for the B team. Potentially, you know, maybe Borges could, could join uh, up with the first team. But do you think that they need to be prioritizing their resources on a new left-back? hundred um, percent. And that's why it sort of surprised me when they brought uh, Grudic back from Liverpool this summer, because I, I think Grudic isn't sort of a, a good player, average player on his day, but I don't think Porto needed him at the moment. Um, you know, I look at left backs and I know they were linked to Abdou Conte from Monians, who I think is, is a good player. Not sure if he'll, he'll be up to the Porto challenge though. It's no disrespect to him. I just think Porto play with such like a high intensity and, and high pressure that I just think it might not be up to him. I'm not sure if you've seen ever since Alex Tells has left Portugal, every single news article is either linking to sporting. There was a rumor the other day, or I'll say about the other day, maybe about a few months ago, saying that if Nuno Mendes goes to Man United, that Teles will go on loan or he'll go back to Porto on loan. I mean, if they could get Alex Teles back, then that would be great for them. Uh, wherever I see it happening is a different story. But I think, like you said, Alfredo Morelos, I do like as a striker, but not for Porto at the moment. They've got too many strikers that I think do a good job. I don't think that it's worth either benching um, Tony Martinez or or Taremi if it happens or pushing Ivan Nielsen further down the pecking order. That left-back spot is the glaring hole in, in their team. And I think... If they want to be serious title contenders and, you know, do well in Europe like they did last year, that's a position where I think they need to, they need to narrow, nail it down. And I just think, you know, there's not a lot, a lot of time left in the window. So whatever they're going to do, whatever funds they have from um, the Corona money, they need to reinvest it in, in a solid left back. Yeah, and I said a few weeks ago on the podcast that they should be selling Corona just because of their plethora of attacking options. I think that the Corona sale won't hurt them as much uh, as some people perhaps are thinking of. Um, but yeah, Porto have been linked, have, have missed out on probably their two biggest priorities at left back. Matias Vigna, who ended up joining up with Jose Mourinho at Roma. Giuseppe Pazella, who ended up going to Atalanta. Um, other players such as Faitut Mawasa, Emerson, 
uh, from Chelsea being linked. Seems like Reinildo Mandava of Lille has also been uh, an option. I do think that they need a, a left back because, frankly, you know, Zaidu, he, he's, 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 not, he's not as bad as, as we think he is right now because that was just that was a schoolboy error. And, frankly, it would not surprise me if Zaidu does not play for another few weeks because I think that a coach like Conceição just doesn't tolerate that. Um, and frankly, Zaidu, you know, I, I've, I like him. I think that he has potential, but he just hasn't shown to be on the same level as Alex Tellez or Alexandro um, in previous seasons. And I think if you're a team like Porto, who are getting in 12 million for, or, or however much money for Tecatito, you need to be reinvesting that on a position that will improve your squad. Does Alfredo Morelos improve them? Maybe I, I, I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't watch as much Rangers as, as, some other, uh, as, as, as some other people do, but I just don't think that uh, they need a striker with, with Tony Martinez and Meditaremi. Uh, frankly, I just think it would be an, a, an incredibly unnecessary purchase. Just keep Elva Nielsen and you know, maybe bring in a striker that's cheaper, but 12 million or 15 million, whatever for Morelos, that's just crazy when left back is such more, such more of a dying issue for, uh, of, a, of a pressing priority for them, I would say. Um, and yeah, I think that Zaidu, he has shown, he has shown that he can be a complete fullback. You know, we saw, I think in, in the, the Porto sporting match from last year, I believe he set up uh, Porto's equalizer. Is that correct? Or, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's shown that he can be good on both sides of the pitch, but it's just the lack of intelligence sometimes. I think just committing these boneheaded errors, both on and off the ball. Um, and, and I think that the Porto Famalicao thing, you know, it was definitely a good indicator of that. So frankly, if I'm, if I'm Porto, I'm, I think that Wilson Manalfa, uh, you know, decent backup right back for, for Joao Mario. Uh, but, but if you're going to have Manalfa and Zaidu as your left back options, I just like compared to, for example, Benfica don't have the best options with, with Alex Grimaldo um, and Gil Diaz, but I'm definitely saying it's better than what, what Porto have. Sporting, much better. Ruben Vinagre and, and uh, Nuno Mench, either of those players would start for Porto any day of the week. Um, I do think that they need to reinvest that Corona money on a left back. Um, and as you mentioned, I, I am a bit puzzled by the Grujic deal. I think that for that kind of money... Like really? Is that, is that your? Is that is that where the priorities need to be? Um, yeah, I, it's it's just kind of bizarre. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that uh, that goal from Famalicao that was um, waved off. This has been a weekend of very controversial VAR decisions in Portugal. What did you make of this decision? Well, if there's not a controversial decision on a Portuguese week match day, then it's not a Portuguese match day. I'm afraid, but. Um, the thing is with the offsides, it's the camera angle that bugs me because I've still not seen a straight camera angle. And Portuguese League, I'm not sure if it's the Portuguese League or Sport TV, don't show the proper angles. So from that angle, it does look like it's, it's sort of hit or miss. I don't think it's 21 centimeters as as it says it is. Um, I don't know where that number's come from. But, you know, I'm going to have to give the benefit of the doubt to referees because I, I think they, they probably did get it right. There was a similar one, which we'll talk about probably later in the Benfica game, um, which was given. 
So it sort of goes either way for me, but I'll put in my club bias to one side. I'm inclined to sign to to side with the referees on this one. I think I think they did get it get it right, even if it was by a, a tiny tiny margin. Definitely not 21 centimeters there. Yeah, I think they got it right. But my bigger issue with the goal being ruled out is just the fact that there was no added time, even though it was like two minutes or like probably like a minute and a half to two minutes of, yeah, of just going over that review, which they should have, obviously. But, you know, they gave six minutes of added time. And I swear they blew right after it hit six minutes when they should have tacked on another minute and a half. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a bit bizarre. Porto can definitely not... Porto, I think, can definitely not accuse uh, referees of being biased against them. You know, no disrespect, but I think that, like, and that's not just Porto. That's a lot of, that's that's all the big teams, I would say, in Portugal. Um, yeah, I agree. But, yeah, overall, I think Porto, you know, they, 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 they were the better team. Um, although, I would, they definitely are, have they definitely were lucky to hang on um, against a Famalicao side that showed a lot of signs of life in the second half. Um, and, you know, clearly showing that they can be another, another tricky team for, for, for Portugal's top size as they always are, you know, they're not going to just sit back and, uh, and park the bus. Right. Um, any, anybody on Famalicão who impressed you? I thought that Rich Shelley, uh, the Brazilian defender who, who grabbed the, who grabbed the goal, uh, to, to, to cut the lead into half was, was very good, very solid in the air, good positioning. And uh, did quite well in in Famalicao's back three, which had quite a few names. But Richelli was really the only one who who was sort of um, who who I kind of recognized. Um, anybody in in particular on Famalicao who impressed you? I mean, to be honest, I was really disappointed with him in the first half, and especially um, the first game of the season. Considering the success that Ivo Vieira had at the sort of tail end of last season with them, um, from going to near relegation, I think they were nine points clear at the end, but they just went on that great run of form. They've not really impressed me. I know they have lost, obviously, uh, Manuel Ugarte, Ruben Vinagre. Um, they've they've lost a few key names, and you know you shouldn't expect them to go straight straight back to how they were. But for me, they've they've been disappointing for me. Um, they're a team that I expect to sort of be mid table, and I don't think they've shown a lot of quality um, so far. And I think they've got to be really careful not to let this bad form continue. Um, something needs to switch up, and you know there was the whole scandal with Bruno Alves signing and then leaving after sort of a month. I mean, would he change their fortunes? I mean, I'm, I'm sure a bit of experience would definitely help for Milikau at this point. But I, th- I think they've really got to be careful that they don't fall fall into this really bad form patch. And and you know, so if that continues, it's only a matter of time till either Vieira gets sacked and then they're back to square one and finding a new manager. But to be honest, not many, not many people impressed me for Family Car that game, and I think they really do need to step it up if they want to keep challenging and hopefully get to either a European or a Conference League spot. Yeah, definitely need to turn it around. Uh, I believe that's their second straight loss. I think they've lost to to um, what was it? I think they lost to Passos in the first game. I believe it was Passos. I think so. Yeah, um, it may have been. Yeah, but two two straight losses for them after you know yeah pos- it was possible she paid a, a two nothing, um, and so yeah I, I do agree they are in reports uh, reportedly in in negotiations to sign uh, Marcos Paulo 
Atletico Madrid's new Brazilian signing on loan. Be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, Atletico have a ton of links with Bamali Cal given their ownership situations. Um, I think that could be an interesting move. I think I, I'd really like to see that uh, happen. Um, but before we move on to another game, I want to touch up about one player. Um, so as I mentioned before, the only change, the only change that, that, that we saw, the only changes that we saw in the Porto team from the, the, the team that beat Bell and Inchisad on the first match day, I think were, uh, Sergio Oliveira, Sergio Oliveira coming out for Mateo Suribe. Um, whereas Zaidu came out for, for Wilson Manoff at left back. Um, but one player who kept his, who kept his spot in midfield uh, ag- alongside Uribe in the double pivot was Bruno Costa. Uh, Bruno, a player who, is, is, who, who, who had a very impressive loan spell um, at, at Pasos Gipeira last season, played a very important role um, alongside Steven Ustakio in midfield and Luis Carlos in, in getting the Beavers to, to, uh, the, to European football, uh, just 24 years old and, you know, was definitely considered, um, one of the better midfielders in, in the Primeo last season. Um, I know that a lot of Porto fans, I, I sympathize with a lot of Porto fans who are saying, Oh, how come Bruno Costa is starting, uh, where, uh, ahead of likes of, you know, Sergio Oliveira and, uh, Fabio Vieira, who is the best player in the U21 Euros, uh, uh, and and Bitinha as well. Bitinha not even on the bench um, when they're clearly more talented than him. But I thought that Bruno, you know, 24 years old and did quite well uh, yesterday against Famalicão. Really important in the buildup and um, both on and off the ball. I think. Um, talk to me about to, about Bruno Costa. Do you do you think that he is going to? Uh, consolidate a starting spot in midfield under Sergio Conceição this season with, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I personally see him keeping that spot because like we mentioned before, Conceição, that I think he does have his favourites and does have people who he, won't, I won't say don't like, but, but probably doesn't rate. Uh, I'm shocked Vitinha doesn't get more minutes. I, I tweeted at the start of the season when it was confirmed that Wolves weren't um, buying him from the purchase option they had. That I thought if if Constantin played him, that he was going to be a problem for the rest of the league because I think he's so talented and Fabio Vieira too. I think they're both so talented. And Porto have such good youngsters on their books at the moment. Um, Francisco Constantin to to name another one. Um, I think they've got so much talent. And while I do rate Bruno Costa, I think they might be better off with using one of the young players. Sort of, you know, it's sad to say, but Portuguese league is a selling league and all teams need money and if they're going to get that money, you know, you need to invest in the youth. Um, Vitinha could go for a lot, Mabio Riera can go for a lot and I know it's not what Porto fans probably want to hear but they need to start using these younger players. You know, it's a long season, I understand there's Champions League, that's the Portugal, that's the Liga. There's going to be a lot of room for rotation, a lot of team for rest so I hope Vitinha and Fabio Riera get more minutes but if I were the Porto coach, which I'm not obviously, but I personally would. I mean, Bruno Costa. I'm not. I'm not going to say drop him right now because he's done nothing to. He's done. He's played play well. Nothing to to sort of complain about. But I do think he needs to give more minutes to 
your Vieira, Vitinha as well. I think it's only a matter of time before, you know, Porto fans have enough. I know they're sort of reaching that boiling point with Contessao at the moment with previous youngsters, but I think the time's got to be now to pull the trigger on Vitinha and Fabio Vieira. Right. And, and you forgot to mention even Romario Barro, who's been yes. a very highly rated Olival talent. Um, and it just, you know, reinforces our discussion from a few minutes ago. Why did they spend 10, 12 million euros on Marco Grujic again? I just, whatever. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. I mean, it definitely seemed like an opportunity, like, ooh, this player plays for a big club. He's, you know, fairly young, and whoa, we need to get him. Like, seriously, Porto? I mean, if you, if you end up losing another league title again, don't, don't look at us and, and consider us being biased because you, you spent on all these, for whatever. <laughs> moving on, uh, moving on to another one of the big three, Benfica. Uh, Taking a two nothing victory against uh, Aruka against newly promoted Aruka, um, the first time actually in I believe Portuguese football history where on, a team made just two fouls. Aruka only making two fouls, and uh, the previous record I think was just three. Um, but yeah, Aruka only committed two fouls and. Somewhat ironic, given the fact that they ended up get having a man sent off uh, within eight minutes. Goalkeeper Victor Braga getting sent off uh, within eight minutes for really one of the most bizarre sending offs I can I can recall. Um, if you haven't taken a look at it, you know make make sure to go on YouTube and check it out. But really, it, it seemed like you know piecing it back from from, from memory. Okay, so Braga. You know, picks up the picks up the ball and uh, throws it on for. I believe that the the linesman had called for offside, so Victor Braga believes that he's going to be uh, taking you know a free kick after the offsides call. Um, but the referee, I think, did not blow his whistle despite the linesman uh, calling offsides. So you know, a complete m- miscommunication between the linesman and the referee. Um, a massive error on their part uh, on the referee for not blowing. And, and because of that, because the ref did not blow for offsides, um, I believe that Victor, it, it's so hard to describe just because it was so bizarre. Victor realizes midway after, after throwing it on the ground for, for a free kick that, oh, wait, this is not actually a free kick. And it, what's funny about it is if you check the replay, uh, what caused this, I would say, craziness was was a Vizela player, I mean, sorry, an Aruka player running back and it's like, whoa, you can't do that. So if an Aruka player, if that player did not run back, I think that like nobody would have even guessed, honestly. And But yeah, eventually, um, you know, a Benfica player, I forgot who it was, I think it may have been Geremschuk catches up with it. Braga ends up, you know, doing what he had to do and handling the ball, gets sent off. Uh, and then we, we end up seeing uh, Fernando Castro coming in for Arsenio Nunes. Uh, you know, so Aruca going down to 10 men uh, and Benfica uh, eventually getting two goals before halftime via Luca Waldschmidt and Roman Yaramchuk. Uh, before we move into to other stuff, what did you make of this call? 
I felt bad for the keeper in all honesty. So you could tell he was distraught after what happened. Uh, looking back at the replay, the linesman clearly gets offside. And I'm fairly sure the referee also gives, instead of giving the advantage time, which I believe is, is that, to the offside time, which is that, which, which as far as I've always been aware, means that the play is stopped. But, you know, when you play football, they teach you at a young age to play to the whistle. If you don't hear a whistle, carry on as normal. So I think it was a, a poor a poor judgment and a bit of confusion. Like you said, if the Oracle player doesn't run back, then I don't think um, I don't think anyone notices. But I, I felt bad for the guy. But in terms of the football rules and football laws, it's a red card. Um, as, as much as I hate to say it, and I felt bad for the guy, it has to be a red. You know, he, he hand, handled the ball outside the box. You know, it's probably going to be a goal if he doesn't do that. So. He sort of took one for the team, even though he he created the mistake. But yeah, I think as harsh as it was, if you're looking at the rules, then it's fair. But very harsh, in in my opinion. Yeah, I do think, though, there just needs to be better coordination at the top level between alignsmen and a ref. But, you know, as you mentioned, that's that's one of the first things that they teach you uh, in when, when you're when you're uh, in in football training, you know, it's, it's play until the whistle, play until the whistle. He didn't. And he got himself sent off. He cost his team. Um, Benfica going with a fairly rotated side ahead of, uh, their champions league qualifier for against, against PSV. Uh, we saw just how important that champions league qualifier was, you know, last, last summer, they're missing out, um, against, uh, on, on a birth in the group stage to Pauk, Pauk, um, and, and, you know, eventually forcing them to sell Ruben Diaz to Manchester City. So clearly uh, no surprises with George Jesus rotating heavily. Uh, we saw Lucas Verissimo uh, drop to the bench for Morato, Felipe Morato, a young Brazilian defender who I did, I thought did fairly well next to uh, Nicolas Otamendi in the, in the heart of defense. Um, Gilberto coming in. Uh, for the suspended Diogo Gonçalves after his red card earlier last week um, and being replaced uh, in the 66th minute by uh, Captain Andre Almeida, who made his first appearance in, I believe, 10 months after uh, a long-term injury. Um, Sualio Mete as well, starting in, in midfield ahead of Julian Weigel. Um, and uh, a strike duo made of Roman Yaremchuk and Luka Waldschmidt, who grabbed the two goals on, on today's match. Uh, talk to me about Yaremchuk, though, because uh, first start for Benfica, grabs a goal and an assist. Um, 17 million euros, joined after a very impressive uh, Euros campaign for Andriy Shevchenko's Ukraine. Um, yeah, was you know looked like West Ham were interested in him. Ends up joining Benfica for 17 million euros. Gent keep 25 percent a sell on fee. Um, so, but but overall, I mean, it looks like Yaremchuk definitely provides something different to the likes of uh, Rodrigo Pino, Gonzalo Ramos, Luca Waldschmidt, Darwin Nunes. They have a million strikers, but it does seem like Yaremchuk is, is good enough to start. Uh, how good do you think Yaremchuk is, is going to be for Benfica? 
I, I rate him highly. Um, he was linked to Sporting last January before he picked up Paulinho. I'm not sure how concrete those links were or if it was just a sort of tactic to get Braga to lower their fee a bit. But I think George Jesus loves a good striker. He got the best out of Slimani at his best season while George Jesus was coach. Same with Bastos, you know, even go further back to sort of the Oscar Cardozo days. He loves a good striker. And I think Joremchuk, even at the at the... The, the Euros and um, he was just absolutely fantastic and I think he's going to be one of those players that we look at and we say oh he was he was just like Oscar Cardozo or, or Slimani he's just he showed last game that he was just so good even off the ball his positioning was great um, his passing his vision I just think he's going to be one of those strikers that we're going to have to look out for, especially in these European competitions that I think can just absolutely change the game. And a shout out as well, as much as I despise him for joining Benfica, John Mario, since he's he start, he's been playing for them, it's been absolutely fantastic. I mentioned players under George Jesus. Um, John Mario had his best season at Sporting under George Jesus, playing him out on the right, playing more central now. But I think... He's he's done so good and it infuriates me because he wasn't that good. I know different tactics, different teams, different circumstances, but I never saw that, that version of John Mario last season. And I think when I look at Benfica's team, I just think they are definitely the favourites for the league title. They've got a, everyone in, in great position. The only thing I say maybe Sporting have on them is depth. Uh, Befica have better striker depth, but in terms of defence, I think we we have the the edge there, especially the left backs and the right backs. Um, but Benfica are scaring me a hundred percent at the moment, and as of now, I think they're they're favourites to win. And and Yeremchuk is is just making that claim as well. Very scared of Benfica at the moment. It's hard to disagree with you there. I mean, Benfica, I think they have more depth than any team in the country. Uh, and that says a lot about their, you know, their, their financial power for sure. Um, obviously brought in a ton of players last summer Been more of a conservative market um, for them this summer. But I think that getting Joao Mario for, for free, really, it, it was for free. I mean, that's absolutely insane. We're talking about a player who, you know, has won the European championship, who has done phenomenally uh, for, for, for sporting, uh, both in his first spell and his second spell, you know, getting a 40 million move to Inter Milan, um, and joining for free after a very good season at sporting and a player who, uh, could be headed, could be set for a, a recall to the Portuguese national team. I think, you know, there are reports that Fernando Santos, uh, is considering him for a recall to the Celicao. Personally, I think that, that, that it would be well-deserved. Um, I think that he's shown that just how good he is uh, for free. I mean, that's got to be one of the signings of the summer. Um, he's, he's, I definitely think that him and Weigel are going to make a, a superb double pivot um, this season. And yeah, I, I do agree with you that I think Sporting have probably more depth in defense um, but Benfica definitely have more depth in, in midfield um, and attack. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with regards to that. Um, but, you know, let's, let's switch gears for a second to, to the 
to the biggest, uh, to the most mouthwatering event of the weekend, shall we say. Sporting Braga, a fixture that rarely disappoints. Uh, the last time we saw it, it was Sporting pretty much wrapping up the title after a fairly poor run of form and uh, grinding out a victory thanks to a superb display and goal from Antonio Adan. This time, Sporting uh, went up 2 nothing and uh, had a player sent off in Mateus Heiss um, and suffered a late attacking flurry from Braga who, who grabbed the goal, late goal via Abel Ruiz. Um, but eventually Sporting, Sporting held on, took a deserved 2-1 victory. What were your thoughts from this game? I, I thought until Matus Rice got sent off that we were absolutely, I think we were coasting, you know, two goals up, a great finish from Jovan, who last game definitely struggled in front of goal. And, you know, there's been rumors about him um, leaving or getting a contract extension. I think he's playing for either one of those two things. I'm not sure which one he'd prefer, but um, he's a great performance from him. I thought, um, the build-up play to the second goal and the finish by Pot was amazing. It was just straight out of Ruben, Ruben Amorim's textbook. I think watching that was just, I loved it. It was just a great footballing uh, goal, that one. Um, I just want to touch more about uh, Matus Rice because on the, the Sporting 160 EN podcast, we do, I won't, won't say hatred, but a bit of confusion to how he keeps getting in these teams. You know, he's, he's an average player. But for some reason, Ruben Amorim just loves to bring him on in just random circumstances. He was a player that he he was looking at and buying last summer, uh, but didn't actually end up uh, getting till January. Didn't I believe he didn't play a single minute of football until he signed for Sporting. So looking at it this summer, I was like, okay, he's had his time to train with the team. He's had a few games under his belt. This could be a season where he turns into sort of a good backup player. But... When he came on, I believe maybe 75th, 80th minute, and he gives away a yellow card for just kicking the ball away, throwing the ball away, you could see Fadal and Kuwata sort of look at him and be like, that's something you can't do, especially with the, the time you had on the clock. And then his second foul was absolutely reckless and just stupid, deserving of a yellow card. No doubt in my mind, fair play to the referee, who I also thought had a good game as well. Um, but Matus Rice just showing again why he he puzzles a lot of sporting fans. And hopefully when Nuno Mendes is back to full, full fitness and you know Ruben Vinagre has his run in the team, I don't think we'll be seeing a lot of Matus Rice, especially in the left-back position, maybe as a backup centre-back next to, to Luis Neto. But... I mean, the whole game, especially considering uh, the yellow card, I was so nervous, especially when I saw the eight minutes of added time, the longest eight minutes of my life. Um, I was really impressed with the Braga youngster, um, Roger, um, being 15, 16 years old and and being into that team. And I've seen interviews where he said he doesn't study um, Messi, Ronaldo. He studies, studies Galeno to get into Carvajal's team. I think tremendous work ethic. And it takes a lot of, you know, commitment and, and lack of ego to sort of say, okay, I don't want to be like Neymar. At the moment, I want to be like Galeno. And Galeno, who is also a, a fantastic player in his own right as well. But, um, you know, Great game up until the 80th. I, I thought Sporting had it in the bag. I was really disappointed in Matthews Rice, you know, but but Braga, 
I, I won't say disappointed because that's not a word I'd use, especially when we played against them. But they've made some some good signings this summer. Um, they've got their their depth as well. They've got great players um, that they kept from last season. I've expected better of them so far. Um, I think they will start to kick on eventually, but I was very glad that we managed to to round out the win. And, you know, it's only the second game week, but it reminds me of the uh, last few games of the season where we were just scraping by, getting points. You know, you mentioned the game against Braga last season where uh, Gonzalo and Nacio got two yellow cards in the space of 20 minutes. And it was pretty much parked the bus until we got that late goal from, I think, Pedro Porro, I believe. Um, but, but yeah, I, I was really impressed with with our, our boys keeping it, uh, keeping that victory. But um, I think we need to look in <laughs> to get rid of Matthias Rice, <laughs> unfortunately. And yeah, Roger becoming the youngest player in Portuguese league history at 15 years, eight months, 24 days old, breaking Dario Asugo's record. Uh, Dario unfortunately only had a few months to claim for with his record after debuting on March 20th for Sporting, but still could potentially a big future for him uh, as well as Roger. Um, yeah, Braga coming into this team, coming into this game with I think the biggest surprise and ex- exclusion was Ricardo Horta. Wasn't really sure why he didn't play. I guess it was some sort of injury. But uh, I would have expected him to play, especially after you know making a big show of him staying uh, and, and rejecting Atlanta United's move. Um, Fran Sergio playing alongside Al Mushrati in in midfield for Braga. Uh, Al Mushrati, we've talked about just how good he is, um, and plenty of teams have tried to sign him, but Braga have have, have held firm on their asking price of fifteen million euros. I believe uh, th- this summer, and it looked like they will keep hold of them. Doesn't look like they'll be able to keep hold of Fran Sergio, though. Uh, the Brazilian veteran, 30 years old, looks set for a move uh, to Bordeaux, who seems to be bu- buying Liga Noche players left and right. I mean, Fran Sergio, Ricardo Mangas, uh, Julian Mensa played for Vitoria uh, last season. Yeah, definitely <laughs> the, the Gerard Lopez factor, I guess. Um, and yeah, overall, I think that Braga, you know, they, they will get better. I think, I think that uh, Mario Gonz- Gonzalez getting more minutes and, and getting into the team as well as, you know, getting the likes of David Carmo back from injury. Uh, it will definitely help them. But I, I have been a bit disappointed with Braga. Um, you know, they lost in the Super Cup, obviously, to Sporting and, and lost to a better team uh, this past weekend. I think that their biggest issue is in defense, though. I feel like, you know, I expected Paulo Oliveira coming in on a free transfer from Ibar to, to help them. But he, he definitely, you know, for, together with him, Raul Silva, Vitor Tormena, it definitely doesn't inspire that much confidence as a back three. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, as well as losing Ricardo Esgaro in the summer to Sporting, I mean, I thought it was a great bit of business by us. Um, and likewise for Braga, because they still got uh, a decent fee for him. Um, Braga's team, like you said, Paulo Rivera, I think is still a good pickup for him. I just think he's got got a, got a few more games to adapt. Um, Raul Silva is is one of them players that reminds me of, of Pepe, sort of his aggression and his attitude. But I, I completely agree. Um, their attack, I think, is is fantastic. We've we touched on Galeno, um, Abel Ruiz, um, like you said, Mario um, Gonzalez as well. 
And like we said, Roger is, is only going to get better. And if they keep on to him for a few more years, then it's going to be, um, he's going to be a star for sure. But I totally agree. Um, Fran Sergio looks to be, to be going, like you said. Um, I, I think he's a great player for Braga and has been for the last few seasons. If they keep Al Musarati, it's going to be a, a big win for them as well. But I know there's, I think there's a few teams in England sniffing around him. And I, I, I was very impressive with Al Musarati last season. But I think replacing Ricardo is Gallo and, and like I said, they've made some, some good signings, but I think they need to make a few more if they want to properly compete. A lot of them have, uh, a lot of people have them as a dark horse to, to win the league, you know, outside the big three, sort of becoming a big four. But uh, I think they've still got a long way to go. But Carver Hall as well, I've always been impressed with the manager, but I believe that's five straight wins over Braga, Ruben Amorim and Sporting have. So, you know, hopefully we can make it six later this year. <laughs> Five wins, five games since Amorim took over for, uh, you know, a a record fee uh, switching from Braga to Sporting. Definitely money well spent. Uh, We could could say that. Um, Interestingly enough, I mean, so Ricardo Escaio, definitely a big blow for them. Uh, They've actually replaced him to a degree with with Tiago Escaio, his brother coming in from Belenenses' side, um, as well as obviously Roger we talked about. Um, who's been a real breakthrough playing on either flank. Um, and also the, the player, but the player who has definitely occupied uh, Eshkayo's previous role on, as the right wing back has been Fabiano, um, who I believe is Brazilian and, and spent the yeah. last season on loan at um, Academica Coimbra. Um, and I think has, has done fairly well, honestly. I was, I was impressed a bit. I got himself an assist. Um, against Sporting, what do you make of Fabiano? Uh, we have um, a friend from the Sporting One Sixty podcast called um, Dave Pereira. is actually a Braga fan, but still manages to listen to us rant and complain. So, so uh, fair play to him. But he's he's mentioned him as as a as a future star. He thinks that Sporting might take over his contract soon. Um, I, I don't know if if I will agree, but you know, with Veranda shopping at, at Braga quite a lot, you know, ne- never say never. Um, I think he's no Ricardo Esgallo, but I think given time, he will fill that role. Um, I think he's going to be one of them players that does make that step up to a, a quote unquote um, better league, bigger league. I just think he, at the moment, he's still a pretty uh, raw raw prospect, raw talent. You know, like you said, coming from Academica straight to the fourth best team in Portugal is never an easy task. But I think he's he's definitely got the quality just to see to see if he can carry out this season. But under Carlos Carvajal, what he's done with his his uh, wing backs, I think he he's destined to succeed there. Twenty one year old Brazilian came over to Braga in twenty eighteen and uh, could could be a very interesting player to watch. So definitely keep an eye out on him. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Mateus Rice. I think it's very bizarre at how, how much Amorim plays him, despite, with all due respect, not being very good. Um, you know, Mateus was on that Rio Ave team that, that, that barely uh, sealed Europe, Europa League football on the final day of the 2019 season, 2019 20 season, alongside likes of um, Amushrati and Meditaremi. Um, I think joined on loan. And then eventually joined on a free transfer, um, a permanent move uh, to Sporting. I, I definitely see the the benefits of having you know a player who can fill in as either a left wing back or a left center back. But 
I, I just, I just don't see it with him, honestly. I mean, you might be able to get a decent, a decent profit for him, maybe like a million or you know, a few, a few hundred thousand. But I just don't think he is very good. Um, but we'll see. Is is Mateus Rice the Musa Morega of Ruben Amorim? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> Amorim has some really similar qualities. Well, I'll say qualities, negatives to Sergio Conceição in picking the same player. I know a lot of people wanted John Mario to be moved for a few games for so we could see a Braganza, Pelinha, and Matheus Nunes in the middle. It didn't happen a lot last year. Um, but like I said, even last year, bringing Matheus Rice on for, for certain games, I, I just don't see the appeal, honestly. I know he's versatile, which obviously helps, but I mean, is he much better than Luis Neto in, in the centre-back role? Even learning out Eduardo Quaresma, who's, you know, I think definitely needs the experience to play, especially a team like Tondela. But is he is he much better than him? Would it would I rather have Eduardo Quaresma coming off the bench to, to get those minutes? I would say so, but like I said, hopefully when uh, Nuno Mendes comes back and if he does stay, because I still think it's a, a pretty big if, watching Man City uh, play Spurs on the weekend makes me think they definitely need to invest in a left-back. Um, so, you know, it might be a, a sort of panic buy for them. So if we do keep Nuno Mendes, and I've been, I just want to give a shout out to Ruben Vinagre as well. I think he's been fantastic in the two games he's played. He's, he's impressed me uh, very well. Um, and I think I, as much as I like to slate Verandas, um, what he did last season in terms of buying the players that won us the league was fantastic. You know, I've definitely changed opinion of him. Um, but I think, especially with the signings that he's made this this window, um, Vinagre, Ugarte, um, Ricardo Esgaio, I think they're great deals, great players. And I think hopefully we can make a, a, a quick buck on them, especially Agate. If, if you've ever played football manager, you see how how well he does. And, you know, he's, he's definitely definitely quite a raw prospect still at the moment. But I think he's going to go straight to the top as well. But I think the sooner we get rid of Matus Rice, uh, as, as harsh as it sounds, is probably uh, the better. And I would argue that Eduardo Quaresma's move to Tondela, I, I like it a lot because he can start regularly there. Um, I think he's shown his quality a lot in the first two games, despite Tondela losing to, to Vizela with a last-minute goal uh, from Guillermo Chetin. Um, I think that it's going to be a good move for him. And I think that after a, you know, a season of regular minutes, I, I, definitely, I, could, I definitely could see him coming into the team and replacing Mateus Rice. Um, or potentially Luis Neto. He's definitely getting up there in age. Um, you talked about, you talked about Nuno Mensch though. And, you know, he has been, I think that he is probably the best talent that Portugal has seen since Joao Felix in, inside, in, in the league. Um, you know, it's been a joy to, to watch him and cover him. Um, and you, you know, he has not, he has stayed put for the meeting, which is definitely a blessing for a sport thing. But I think that it's clear that in at least maybe not this summer, but I think definitely in the next 12 months, we will see him join a bigger club, maybe PSG, maybe Manchester city, a lot of teams in need for a player of his attributes. Um, and you know, I, I wanted to, to, to let's, let's say, let's say hypothetically, let's say that PSG tomorrow come out and say they're going to exercise Nuno Mench's, was it 70 million? 70 million, I think? I think it's 60. 
60 million, 60 million euro release clause. Okay. And so he's gone. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, who would you buy with that money? Because frankly, I think that Ruben Vinagre, he's shown, you know, he, I, I think that, you know, he isn't as good defensively as Nuno is. And we saw that with, with Amorim taking him off for, for Rice at the end of, of the uh, Braga match. But I, I like Vinagre a lot. I think he has the quality to start for team. Personally, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would probably have Vinagre as a starter, Rice as a backup, potentially, you know, other players as uh, competing as backup. Um, but I would actually, I would actually invest that money in a left-sided center back. Um, I know that Zuhair Fedal has done fairly well since joining for Real Betis, but I think that he is probably one of the weaker links of this team. Um, frankly, if it was up to me, I think that I would, if, if Mendez did leave uh, within the next few weeks, I think I would probably invest that money into an upgrade on the left side of the back three. What about you? I mentioned his name earlier, but Abdul Conte, I think, is, uh, you know, he came from the academy. He, he's got that sporting DNA, so to speak. Definitely not a direct replacement, but I think as a backup, um, should only cost maybe two, three million. Um, we've got, I, I do like Vinagre there, um, but I, I think. I do agree with you on the Fidal thing. I think inconsistent inconsistency is his biggest downfall, and sometimes he does have that lapse of concentration. Um, but I think for the most part, Fidal makes Coates and Inacio makes Coates look a much better centre back. I think the pairing of those three is just incredible. And you know there was a little bit of rotation to start with um, Neto for Inacio and even Charisma playing a few games. I think those three are just so solid and they make each other look better. So I personally wouldn't touch Fadal in, in that starting 11, maybe buying a, a backup center back. Cause like you said, Luis Neto's up there in age. He, I think he's been a bit shaky when he's played as well. I don't rate him all that highly, but I think in terms of having that experience in, in the locker room and, and having that leadership as well is, is a, uh, one of those attributes you don't see. But if I were to reinvest it, I would probably say Abdu Conte. He's looked fantastic since joining Monnets. And I just think he could be a direct backup and, you know, a good rotation piece throughout the season, especially with Champions League, uh, um, then Tasta Portugal. And even potentially if we get knocked into uh, Europa League or even the latter stages of Champions League, fingers crossed. But I, I would personally spend it on Abdu Conte. And finally, we talked about uh, Antonio Daniel coming up massive in the last league fixture that, that Sporting faced off against Braga. Um, very good once again with five saves um, against Braga. Adan has you know played an invaluable part, uh, you know an, an indispensable part, I would say, uh, since joining on a free transfer from Atletico Madrid uh, in the summer of 2020. 34 years old, but you know, clearly showing that you do not need to be a spring chicken at, in, as a goalkeeper to, to be absolutely massive for them. Um, and, you know, Adan's arrival uh, blocked the emergence of Luis Maximiano, who had, you know, gained Al- sporting Alcochete product. And, uh, you know, he gained the starting spot midway through the 2019 season, 2019-20 season over Renan Ribeiro. Um, very promising 22 year old 
uh, Maximiano, and it seems like you know he was linked to Udinese um, to to replace the departing Juan Musso, but eventually Udinese signed uh, Marco Silvestri from Hellas Verona. Now it seems like Maximiano is going to Granada. Uh, I believe it's confirmed actually to to replace the departing uh, Portuguese goalkeeper Rui Silva, who has joined Real Betis on a free transfer. Um, so a Portuguese goalkeeper replacing another Portuguese goalkeeper uh, in Spain. Um, and I like the move for Maximiano. I think that, you know, it's going to allow him to get the minutes that he, he needs to, to develop. Um, sporting, I believe, getting 5 million euros. So not, not bad, I would say, for a player who hasn't played much in the way of senior football. Um, you know, getting a decent fee for him as well as uh, a resale clause. I, you probably have uh, a better grasp on the figures than I do. But um, And it seems like Sporting will bring in Joao Virginia to to replace Maximiano, a player who, you know, spent time at Benfica's academy as well as Arsenal's academy, spent the past few years at Everton, um, and I think had a loan spell at Reading. Yeah, uh, but hasn't really played much in the way of senior football. I think less, you know, definitely doesn't have much in the way of, of game time. Uh, but yeah, Virginia looks like will join on a on loan um, with I think an option to buy from Everton, uh, which you know makes sense with 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 J- Jordan Pickford and Asmir Begovic being ahead of him in the rotation. Um, I do think though that like. You know, Maximiano leaving, it is, it is too bad because he is a promising young goalkeeper. But you, you make a profit on him by, by selling him and bringing in Virginia on loan, which is, you know, great considering the fact that Sporting have not sold many players for big fees this summer. And also, frankly, Maximiano is just not, is just not better than Antonio Adan. So if you're going to bet on a 34-year-old goalkeeper, um, and you know, uh, to 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 start in goal um, ahead of a promising talent like Maximiano, it better be worth it. And then in Sporting's case, I think it is. So, yeah, give me your thoughts on Adon and and Virginia and Maximiano. This whole goalkeeper scenario with Sporting. Yeah, I've pretty much agree with all you said. Um, the only issue I have with Adan is his distribution with his feet. Um, he's not very confident and a lot of the passes either go out or just go straight back to opposition. Um, but in terms of shot stopper, Adan has been fantastic. You know, we conceded um, uh, the lowest amount of goals in Portuguese league last season. A lot of that was down to him. A lot of that was down to Coates and Fadal and Inacio. But for me... There was a time in last season, or sorry, two seasons ago now, where we had the likes of Balassi and, and Hesse, and it looked like we were just going to rebuild with the academy um, sort of after the after the pandemic first hit. First hit. Um, you said um, Mats was re- re- replaced uh, Renan Ribeiro, which I thought was a little bit unfair. I've never rated Renan that highly as a goalkeeper, but he did have his moments, uh, for example, saving the penalty shootouts in two different tournaments, in two different finals. But Max, I mean, five million for a goalkeeper who's not played a full season of football, I think is a fantastic deal. I believe it's five million euros with a 10% sell-on fee and supporting also get 500,000 if Granada stay up in La Liga. Um and Joel, is it Joel uh, Virginia is a, a great backup 
because we're not paying anything for the loan. There's no loan fee. And I think we're only paying part of his salary, which I believe Everton are paying a lot more of. That is according to Abola anyway. Um, but not only have we got him on loan, we've also got goalkeeper um, Diego Calai, who is 16 years old, 16, 17. Amorim said to be impressed with him. He's rumoured to be um, included in the the, the final squad. Um, definitely a, a raw prospect, but someone who I think in a few years can sort of overtake a Dan spot. Been very rumoured to be one of the best goalkeepers in the B and 23s, the whole academy. And I think... As much as I love Max the man and Max is the player, I think it's a good deal for all parties. Sport and get the five million euros and Max gets the game time, which I, I believe he deserves. And hopefully he has sort of a, a Rui Silva emergence in Spain and, and gets that big move as well. Absolutely. Um, I could not agree with you more. I think it's good business to get five million euros for a player who you know, has not played much. It does seem like Sporting have had a very good window, you know, despite not agreeing a permanent deal for Joao Mario. Still, brought in Manuel Ugarte, brought in Ricardo Escayo, brought in Ruben Vinagre, um, and are about to bring in Joao Virginia. Am I missing anybody? I don't think I am. Um, I don't think, unless you count Matheus Rice, but oh, he was already there. Our favorite Brazilian defender, <laughs> Matheus Rice. How could I forget him? Um, no, and and frankly, Sporting have done well to like you know get, I would say, living off crumbs, shall we say? You know, get really just only selling bit part players. Um, I think Joseph Nisic, you know, joined uh, Dynamo Zagreb for free. Uh, Valentin Rossier, I believe, has joined Besiktas for an, a decent fee. Um, and the thing is, sorry, yeah. just to interrupt. No, go ahead. We've got so much dead weight that is taking up wages. Right. We managed to get some of uh, Bataglia's books, uh, wages off the books, who is, I believe, the highest paid player area. at Sporting. Really? He's, he's the highest paid. Rodrigo Bataglia is the highest. 2.5 million a year. I'm oh, sure. my goodness. That was straight after the which, which, attacks. That was after that. Which president signed? Uh, that, Sintra. And Bataglia was. He he re-signed after or what? That is so crazy. he re-signed after. And to right. be fair, not yeah. worth two point five million a year, but he yeah. was he was actually pretty no, good. Was. Jesus. And then I think he tore his ACL on like the first or second game back. Hasn't been the same player since. But we've got Ilori who's on high wage as well. I think on a million per year. <laughs> Renan still there. Andras Porar. Andras Porar. Porar. Yeah, I think Rafael Camacho. Right. There's just uh, Diaby. <laughs> the list goes on. Camacho I mean, and Ilori, the two the two ex Liverpool players who are getting who are becoming. Massive Deadwood. Thank you, Michael Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> you do need to move on to quite a few of those players. Absolutely. Uh, Sporar. Yeah, that, that is hilarious. I think it, I might just have to do like a random, a thread of random players who are the highest earners at their clubs, Batalia at Sporting. Um, Andre Yarmolenko is, I believe, the highest earner at West Ham. Pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Batalio would definitely be part of it. So, so yeah, no, as you as you say, um, uh, yeah, you you do need to sell a few players. I think Batalia, um, Ilori, not sure who else. Gonzalo Plata, maybe. Um, we'll see. But but yeah, um, I want to touch up on before we get into the to the talent of the week section. I want to touch up on one player, Jovan Cabral. Um, unless, 
have you have you picked Jovan as your talent of the week or no, you, no. it's not okay so in that case let's let's talk about Jovan uh, a player who you know has been a new entrance into the this a, a new addition I would say to the starting eleven. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, we saw the new wingbacks, uh, uh, Ricardo Escayo and, and Ruben Dinagre starting at wingbacks and in place of the injured Pedro Poro and Nuno Mensch. Uh, Mateus Nunes continuing to take his place, continuing to take the place of, of João Mario following his departure to Benfica. Um, but Jovan Cabral, a player who's often been used as a super sub under Ruben Amorim, um, continuing to start over, over Nuno Santos, um, and showing why with a very impressive display against Braga. What, what are your expectations for Jovan this season? Uh, and what did you make of his performance against Braga? I mean, Jovan, after the game against Vizela, I'm not going to lie, I did not want to see him start against Braga just because that he was really bad in front of goal. Like, I mean, he did well to get in the position, but he was missing one-on-ones. He was missing penalties, which I know not the easiest task in the world. But I think it's really good to have that competition between Nuno Santos and Jovan. Even Plata can play out on that side as well. I mean... It's a good headache for Ruben Amorim to have. The only problem I have with Jovan is that he can he rarely like stays fit, and he always picks up these little injuries here and there, and he struggled to last full ninety minutes. Um, the game I remember most last season was in I believe the Tassa de Portugal, sorry Tassa de Liga against Porto, where he came on and scored um, two goals in the last ten minutes to to send us through. Um, and then after that, he didn't have, have much impact, much much opportunities due to these sort of nagging injuries. Um, it's been linked with moves to West Ham, Watford. I think if he continues to play, he's going to get a, a contract renewal with Sporting. And I think it's best for all parties if that happens. But if I am Verandas, Ruben Amore, Hugo Viana, I'm waiting to at least sort of January, February to see if he can stay fit, if he can stay healthy. If if it happens again, where he just gets injured again, uh, especially for a long time, I think it might just be time to cut our losses and and um, sort of try and get a, a fee for him. I think Nuno Santos is a is a good a good player as well. Um, Sean at the start of last season, form dropped off um, a bit, but he's got that aggression which I love to see in a winger. Um, and for me, I think if Jovan stays fit, then he's gonna he's gonna have a breakout season. He said his next goal on his list is to hopefully get into the Portugal team, which is easier said than done, especially with the amount of wingers they have in the national team. Pedro Neto, uh, Gonzalo Guedes, uh, just to name a few. Felix can play out on the wings. You've obviously got Ronaldo play out on the wings. There's just so many players that that are just in that position. Where do do I think he's ever going to get that call? Probably not. But it's it's good to set that set that goal. Um, but I'm I've been impressed with Jovan. He shut me right up in that game against Braga, and hopefully the good form continues. Absolutely, uh, really excited to see how Jovan does the season. But yeah, without any further ado, let's go to the uh, talent of the week section. So uh, today's matches rounded up the the second match day of of uh, the Primeira Liga. Um, Marichimo getting a 2-1 victory over Belenenshad, uh, continuing Belenenshad's uh, disappointing form. I definitely think that they need to get in 
some signings or they're going to have it or they're going to have a tricky job of staying up already two losses uh, to to Porto and Marichimo um they've lost a lot of key players um and yeah Petit definitely needs some new signings for them to 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 avoid a relegation fight so we'll see what happens with that um but yeah Boa Vista Boavista as well another team that has has definitely been besieged by departures um, this this summer. You know, seeing the likes of Paulinho, Angel Gomes, um, uh, Paulinho Gomes. I'm missing a few players. Paulinho Gomes. They've 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 lost quite a few players though. Um, Ricardo Mangas is another player I was forgetting. Adil Rami. Um, but you know, took a three nothing victory over Passos Jivajera on Monday, uh, to today. And Passos, um, I, I do think that they were, you know, rotating somewhat. Not that much, though. I mean, clearly their mind was, was set on, the, on Thursday's match against Tottenham. But at any rate, I think beating the team that finished fifth last season, 3 nothing, uh, is incredibly impressive. It's it just kind of Boavista will have these random... Three nothing victories. I remember they defeated. I think what was it? Benfica three nothing last last season. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one three nothing uh, today against Passos. Uh, so yeah, overall, I, I was watching it and, and I thought a lot of really impressive performers. Uh, Rafael Bracali in goal. Uh, Yusufa and Jay getting a goal. The Gambian forward um, Jay, I believe, is the son of of. Uh, the player who's considered the greatest Gambian player of all time. Um, so it will be interesting to see how he does at AFCON this in, in January. Um, Kenji Gore and Gustavo Sauer, very impressive in attack as well as uh, Sebastian Perez and Gaius Makuta in, in midfield. But one player who I was really, really intrigued with uh, is Nathan, 19-year-old Brazilian. We, we talked about... Talked a little bit about another Brazilian right wing back uh, in 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 Fabiano on Braga in today's show, but yeah, Nathan Nathan Santos for for Boa Vista did quite well, I would say, on on the right side um, of of João Pedro Sousa's three four three. He was you know active in attack. Um, I think he set up. I believe he set up uh, Geriel de Santos's final goal. Um, really strong off the ball in his positioning and uh, clearly, you know, definitely getting forward with ease. Um, it was interesting to see Nathan starting, uh, it, you know, today because he frankly did not play that much last season. I joined from, joined from Fosco de Gama, I think, and, and, and Boavista uh, exercised his, his uh, option to buy a few weeks ago. Um, I was very impressed with him. And I think that, you know, I don't know, maybe we are seeing Boavista gut a lot of their team and sell, you know, a lot of their top players. Maybe Reggie Cannon, you know, a player we've talked a lot about on Cortalinias, maybe he ends up leaving um, in, in the final weeks of the transfer window and Nathan is given that opportunity to shine. I don't know. Uh, but I, I liked what I saw of, of Nathan. And I think either playing as a wingback or as a winger, um, I, I think that he could be very important for Boavista's chances to of staying up. Um, so yeah, before we get into to the um, to your talent of the week, 
Did you catch the Boavista game? Do you do you have any thoughts on Nathan? That totally fine. I didn't get to catch that one, unfortunately. Yeah. Finished work at half six and, you know, had dinner, had a, had a few beers. So I didn't get to watch that, unfortunately. Definitely, definitely check out Nathan, though, because I think, you know, I had a really uh, promising performance today, today against the Beavers. Uh, who is your talent of the week, Sam? So I, I'm not going to spoil your one, but it was between the one you've said to me. Um, it was between Yamach and Yoremchuk as well. But I've gone a bit left field for this one. And it's someone who I didn't mention earlier. But I'm actually going to give it to the man of the match um, that Sport TV gave in the sporting game. That is Matthews Nunes. I've been really impressed with him since these Everton links. Um, I'm just looking at the stats now. Um, 84% pass succession. You know, in a big game against Braga, it's not easy to do. He's literally an engine, never stops running, always getting those recoveries. He's just so impressive. And I think... You know, it would be easy to sort of see the midfield drop off after Joel Mario's departure. But I think he's picked up the slack and taken taken the, the big boots to fill. And he's really impressed me in the first two games. If he carries it on, I don't see why, um, why Everton won't sort of pull the trigger. Um, but for me, what a fantastic player. Um, again, bought from Estoril for, I think, 500k in 20, either 2019 or 2020. And ever since then, he's just been a f- phenomenal player. Definitely still got a bit of improvement to do, um, but he's coming clutch with goals against um, Benfica and, and Brioca last year. And for me, talent of the week goes to Matheus Nunes for his performance against Braga. Matheus Nunes, I mean, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head here. This is a player who, when he joined from Estoril, uh, you know, he was... I think that the the president said at the time that this guy, or no, at, at the time that Sporting bought, that that they signed Ruben Amorim, the Sporting president, I think Veranda said, uh, Mateus Nunes is going to pay, is going to is going to pay for Ruben yeah. Amorim signing. And the more time goes on, the more he looks like a genius because you know, just a few weeks prior to to the start of the season, when you know. When when Mateus wasn't even a starter, like he is at, at like he is starting off this season, there were links to to Everton for twenty million euros. This is after a season where he wasn't starting. So you know, with regular game time on his belt, um, it's going to be very interesting to see how Mateus does. You know, got Portuguese citizenship just a few weeks ago, um, so could switch over potentially from from Brazil. Uh, grew up in. Brazil came over to Portugal, I think at 13 years of age, similar to Mateus Pereira. Um, yeah, I, I really like Mateus Nunes. And I think that, you know, in a way, letting João Mario go and, and giving the opportunities to younger players like Daniel Braganza, um, Manuel Agarte, but above all, Mateus Nunes could definitely be a blessing in disguise for sporting. So, Just to yeah. quickly. No, go I, ahead. Uh, see if you remember this. PT Footy Podcast 2016, you told me to keep an eye on Daniel Braganza. Oh <laughs> my said, God. That I think up. you did a comp about, about him. Right. And you were like, watch him. <laughs> and he's turned into, you know, a great player. So yeah. you've obviously got the eye for talent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I know I, that brings up memories I forgot I even had. Um, yeah. Thank you everybody for tuning in to a fantastic show with a fantastic friend in San Fonseca. Uh, been one of my day ones on here from the PT footy podcast days to the Cortalinius days. Uh, it was a pleasure to have him on. 
pleasure to sneak with him in the Courts and Leanish podcast. Definitely give his page as well as Sporting 160 EN uh, both a follow. Definitely won't regret it. Um, and I know that we won't, it won't be long before, before we're doing something either on BTL or with Sporting 160. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Sam. Is there anything else you want to say? No, just just thank you for having me. Um, I'm just going to do my little plugs for a second. Um, <laughs> her Twitter is at Sam Fonseca with two A's. Uh, Sporting 160 Twitter is at Sporting 160 underscore EN. Same with Spotify, same with Apple uh, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. So yeah, give us a follow. Uh, give us a, a like and subscribe on YouTube. Every, every view, every like counts. But again, thank you to Zach for having me on. You know, big fan of his. He's done fantastic work. And you know, keep keep up the the good yeah. work because because you have you've changed the landscape of, of football <laughs> Twitter for the better. So, so first of all, congratulations for your success and hopefully a continued success as well. Thank you so much, Sam. No, absolutely a pleasure to have you on. And uh yeah, definitely check out the Sporting 160 podcast. There is room for more than one English language Portuguese football <laughs> podcast on Twitter. So uh, thank you once again, Sam, for, for blessing us with your knowledge. Really excited to have you on again soon. All right. Take care. Cool. Bye.